Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, January 26th, 2021. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Senate today voted to proceed with an impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump. However, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky issued an objection on the grounds that it was unconstitutional to do so. 44 of his fellow Republicans agreed. This is not a majority position among scholars, let alone a 90% consensus among experts, not even a consensus among reasonably informed people. For instance, take Nixon, Judge Walter Nixon. He was literally disqualified after conviction in the Senate. There's precedence. It happened before. But also think about the other Nixon, Richard Milhouse. What if the day before an impending vote of conviction, he'd have just said, now I resign. Then the Senate couldn't say, well, fine, but we're also going to disqualify you from holding office. Their hand would be stayed. I just wanted to say hand would be stayed. It seems a pretty large flaw. If the only way to impose disqualification is for those too pig-headed to resign, or maybe some who really think they'll win the conviction vote. What if they resigned the second after the conviction vote took place? They could run again by the logic of, well, every Republican senator except Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, Ben Sass, and Pat Toomey. Good on them. Also at issue, supposedly, was the constitutionality of having Senator Pat Leahy preside over a conviction trial and not the Chief Justice of the United States. It's not specified who would preside if the removal of the president isn't on the table and Chief Justice Roberts really wants no part of this. Of course, let's say Roberts has said, fine, I'll do it. And he was the guy who they tabbed to run the trial. I'm sure 44 Republican senators would say, no, no, no. It should be something like Pat Leahy. Or I don't know, maybe it's their anti-Italian American bias shining through. Oh, you thought Pat Leahy, all Irish. Nope, half Italian, as Italian as any senator, including Joe Manchin, who's, of course, Joe Mancini. This has been Italian-American Senator's moment. No, it hasn't. This has been, Mike talks about where we are in the upcoming trial of Donald Trump. There seems to be no real appetite for conviction among the majority of the Republican senators. But maybe if they heard the sentiment expressed here, they might change their mind. Mike Pence is a bitch! Mike Pence is a bitch! Mike Pence is a bitch! Can I speak to Pelosi? That's a video put together by the legal and security issues website, Just Security. And what they've done is they've paired Trump's words with protesters storming the Capitol, gleefully echoing the very sentiment they heard from Trump, just repeating it back to the camera because you got to get the word out on social. 
It's been reported that this video or one like it or maybe literally this video will be played for the senators and this will put them in a tough position. It will make it hard for them to deny that there really was a connection between presidential words and rioter action. The anti-Mike Pence sentiment you were hearing came right after Trump tweeted out at 224, Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our constitution, right? And then people started calling for his lynching. People started calling for his head. Maybe some of those 45 senators are actually friends with Mike Pence. A lot of them said they were. Maybe some of them aren't really friends, but don't like him being called a, hold on, let me check the transcript, uh, a bitch. They don't like that. Maybe they need a little show and tell between the president's words and the protesters' actions. Here, they're outside the Capitol telling whoever will listen who sent them. That was outside, and this next clip is inside, inside a congressional office. The far-right media personality who calls himself Baked Alaska picks up a phone and says he's going to call his hero Donald Trump. Dude, dude, let's tell Trump what's up. Trump would be very upset. And he'd be like, no, just say we love him. We love you, bro. No, he'll be happy. What do you mean? We're fighting for Trump. Who knows if this will sway senators should it be presented in two weeks. Maybe some senators will be disturbed. Maybe some will be scared. But will they have such fealty to a constitutional ideal that few constitutional experts can actually find in the Constitution? On the show today, Rudy Giuliani. He's certainly the master of his own fate, but he might be a victim of his dominion. Text Rudy to find out. But first... The director of The Dissident, Brian Fogel, joins us again to talk about his documentary about the Saudi government murdering journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Fogel is a fantastic storyteller, but at this point, he's also a repository of information about the case. And he answers some questions I had about the success of the murderous operation. Up next. I'm here to tell you about one of the most attractive automobiles you're ever going to lay your eyes on. And it's not just how good it looks. It's everything that can do. For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design. The exterior, which won me over, is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing. The interior is built with integrity using the most robust of materials. The Defender capability is legendary, whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. Cargo capacity means you got room for your gear. To drive the Defender is to do what you do via your intellect, via your passions in life. It is to explore with greater confidence. Ready for a wide range of adventures? The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, the Defender 130 that seats up to eight. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Yesterday, we spoke in part one of an interview with Brian Fogle, the director of the documentary The Dissident, about the murder of Jamel Khashoggi. 
Today, I spoke with Brian not about what a viewer may see in the film, but what he saw as he put the film together. And we started by talking about the extensive talks that he had with Turkish officials whose information was fundamental to the documentary. You had people high up in the Turkish Justice Department talk to you on camera. I hadn't seen that before. Much like building trust with uh, Omar and Atija, I spent greater part of seven, eight months uh, between, I was in Istanbul beginning in November of 2018. My last trip there was about a year ago right now. And during that uh, year and two months, I had countless uh, meetings with the Turks and there was a tremendous amount of trust building that happened. Mm -hmm. None of these people to this day have even uh, spoken on camera about this murder let alone be extensively interviewed in the film. And through this process, you know, Turkey eventually came to trust me. They provided me with the full transcript, which again, there has been portions of it leaked, but it also has not been uh, made public in full. And Turkey provided me that full transcript after, you know, after almost a year of working with them. Now, since I am fascinated in geopolitics, I wanted to ask you a bit about your navigating your relationship with the Turks, because you know these worlds, the some of the equivalents of Turkey, which itself is a repressive state and which punishes dissidents. So they have their agenda. All sources have their agenda, but mostly sources in this movie are people like UN workers, this very sympathetic widow who herself is also a documenter of human rights stories and a journalist, you know, white hat hackers, good people with good motives. Now you're dealing with the Turks. So what did you do to guard against getting played by them? The politics are complicated. However, what was not complicated was the facts of this murder, of what had happened. How Turkey had the listening device and the bug in the consulate, I don't know. Whether or not Turkey had ulterior motives in trying to force the Saudis to the table or economic or financial or strategic interests in the region, I don't know. What I do know is that Turkey is and was the only country in the world over the last two years that has actively, to this day, sought to seek justice and accountability for the murder. So I think for me, what, what it was is, you know, as you're, as you're going through stories, you can go down any number of rabbit holes, any number of conspiracies. But what this story was, wasn't the story of, of Turkey's political motives. It wasn't the, oh, why do they want to prosecute this crime or not? It was purely mm-hmm. this was a journalist, a Washington Post journalist, who had been brutally murdered inside the Saudi consulate in Istanbul. And the government of Turkey had the evidence and information, and was actively seeking justice for the crime. And so if I looked at that in that focus, through that prism, it became clear to me the the intention, which I wasn't doing an expose on Saudi and Turkish relations. I was doing a film about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi and the truth about what happened. This story has so many strands. And to just lay out a few of them, it wasn't just Jamal Khashoggi's life. You needed to point out that he went from 
journalist to dissident with a few of his actions. You had to make clear what the nature of his journalism and critique was, and it wasn't overthrow or even advocating for democracy. He just wanted some more free speech. You had to sell us on a love story a little bit, which maybe because here's a guy who's nearing 60 and here's a woman who's in her 30s, and you explain that through her own father's hesitancy. And then you have this story about Twitter and people who are in the employ of Saudi Arabia essentially spreading disinformation and the counter-information. So many strands. Was that a particularly daunting challenge? I think that it was it was a daunting challenge. There's the story behind the story, which was the, the story in the public was Washington Post journalist enters consulate murdered. And then the story that was coming forward in a lot of news organizations, especially like Fox News and, and more right-wing organizations is, hey, you know, no big deal that this guy's been murdered because he was an ISIS sympathizer. Uh, he was Muslim Brotherhood. He was friends of bin Laden. And this was not true. So as you un- peel back the layers to this story, there becomes this, this other story of what is going on on a global level in this threat of cybersecurity. And what you realize is that cyber warfare is truly the new warfare. And that the idea that the Saudis had hacked this guy's phone, even though he had a a US number, that they had hacked a a phone of Canada, that they had done it with the help of of an Israeli cybersecurity operation. There was this whole other world at play that had to be brought into the narrative. And that and that's where I really leaned on these kind of cinematic, big feature thriller techniques of CGI, of animation, of sound design, of the score, of creating that world of the, of the Saudi Twitter trolls and these kind of point cloud holographic kind of imaging, the animated CGI sequence of, sequence of Pegasus, the virus infecting a phone and where it goes to. These were the the big heavy lifts of the film and how to craft this part of the story to not only be cinematic, but to be easily comprehensible for the average viewer. Now, so far, I've asked you questions from your perspective as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, but you're also, let's acknowledge, you're an expert in this material. So from your analysis, do you conclude, did the Saudis think that they would get away with it? I believe That answer is 100% yes. Clearly, there was a decision made that, you know, they they could have committed this crime in in the U.S., in Washington, right? I mean, Jamal was basically working there and living there. And clearly, the decision was, okay, we don't, that is uh, crossing too big of a a, a bridge. Uh, I believe that there was, that the Trump administration did not know, in fact, that they were going to murder Jamal. But I also believe that there was probably a, an unspoken narrative of, you know, hey, he's your guy, you do what you got to do. You know, I mean, you look at how Trump has treated the Washington Post, right? It's never Amazon, Jeff Bezos or Jeff Bezos, it's Washington Post owner, Jeff Bozo. So Trump hates the Washington Post because the Washington Post has not been supportive of Trump, right? We know of, you know, of Trump and Kushner's long-standing relationship with the Saudis, business dealings with the Saudis, 
financial interests with the Saudis. I mean, this is this is all this is all fact, not conjecture. So, you know, I, I believe that MBS had a strong reason to believe that, you know, that the administration uh, would not really take action. But the plan was so ill hatched. I mean, the idea that you would send a Saudi agent that he put on Jamal's clothes after they murdered him and walked him out the street, that there was a fiance Hatija waiting outside the door who knew that he never came out. Not only that, he had left his cell phones and computers and devices with her should something happen to him. And I think that the part of this in Turkey's defense, regardless of any of their motives, this was such a, I think, you know, smack in the face to Turkey. The idea that you were going to come on Turkish soil, murder someone in this way, and then their entire plan, the Saudis' plan, right, was to plant the murder onto Turkey. So they were, they were, their intention was to basically go, the Turks murdered him. We have no idea what happened. He vanished. So, and I think that that really, and, and as you see in the film of Turks talking about this, that I think really fueled uh, their desire to seek justice in this, uh, because not only did they kill the guy, uh, the plan was to frame uh, Turkey for his murder. They certainly couldn't have anticipated uh, that there was a listening device in the room, and they certainly couldn't have an- anticipated that there would be, you know, the the audio that would be leaked. And so there was a, a terrible calculation made on their part in what was just a a completely botched murder. Now, here's the follow-up. Did the Saudis really care if they got away with it? Well, that that lends an, an interesting question. These authoritarian regimes, there's too much money. There's too much business interest. There's too much international relations at stake, right, to actually do something about it. And I think that is the lesson that MBS has been following and learning from other countries that have similar human rights violations that you can get away with it. So the last question of this triad is, did they get away with it? They have gotten away with it. MBS and the fallout of this, the UN did not take action. They did not uh, seek to involve the Security Council sanctions, take this up in a criminal court, bring this to The Hague, et cetera, right? The United States to this day uh, has not severed its relationship. Trump you know, vetoed Congress's desire to block weapons sales. And same with all the other members of the G20. So, And they're back at making investments. I mean, Netflix just announced an eight-picture deal with Saudi Arabia. Amazon acquired Souk, the the Amazon of Saudi Arabia. They've invested hundreds of millions of dollars into Live Nation, into Uber, you know, into Penske Media. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. They have the largest, world's largest sovereign wealth fund that is also the world's, one of the world's largest investors in tech and companies outside of the kingdom. All the money into SoftBank is Saudi money. I mean, right? So they have won and they have gotten away with it, period. The Dissident opened in theaters on December 25th. It is out on video on demand. And thank you, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me on.
And now the spiel. Of all the distortions, innuendo, propaganda, outright lies spread about the election, it's abundantly clear that none will be punished. All manner of inaccuracy is spread without consequence whatsoever. Why? Because there's an audience for it. And if that audience is significant enough to float the careers of propagandists and liars who one time would have been absolutely ruined by their lies... That time is not now. I remember when Linus Pauling got a little too into vitamin C advocacy and the two-time Nobel Prize winner, he took a little hit, took a little reputational hit. But now just say anything as long as your particular niche or silo likes it, likes it enough, likes it enough to be monetizable, you are golden. There is maybe, however, one exception, one specific lie that can't just be spit into the wind without any care that it will rain back down on you. And I'll tell you what it's not. It's not calling the current president illegitimate, calling heroic poll workers villains, calling our public institutions ruined beyond repair, calling the news media traitors, calling all the former presidents of the United States baby eaters. That's what QAnon does. That's fine. Hey, George, as one with a chubby thigh, you're gnawing on. Want to share that sweet, sweet baby leg? So, yeah, you can say anything you want about anyone you want, except for one entity, Dominion Voting Systems. And good. Thank God for Dominion. Because Dominion is a brand name with reputational stakes, and they don't like being shit-talked. In fact, it might cost them money. That's what they're alleging in a series of lawsuits. They are suing the worst of the Trump propagandists. They are playing and citing these people's own words, and they are holding them to account. They forced lengthy corrections on Fox Business. They're suing for literally billions. They have now filed suit against one, Rudolph William Lewis Giuliani. I read through the Dominion lawsuit, much of it. It's like over 100 pages. And there's a lot of stuff I knew, a little stuff that was surprising, and a lot, lot, lot of material that was comical. It's funny what Rudy says. It's funny why he says it. It's funny how and where he says it. I knew most of it. For instance, Rudy did a bunch of podcasts and YouTube shows that were taken down by YouTube. So he pivoted and now has posted YouTube-type videos on his site, but not via YouTube, which he labels as the podcasts they don't want you to see, a la Jerry Springer, too hot for TV. Maybe lawyers should tell Rudy that he shouldn't want you to see them either because they're going to get him sued. There's an old one, a few, a few months old, right after the election, about a week after it shows up in the lawsuit. And I will read the description of it from the lawsuit to you. On November 13th, 2020, Giuliani posted an episode of his podcast in which he capitalized on publicity he was receiving because of the big lie about Dominion. Along with the false accusation that Dominion had stolen the election, quote, technologically, Giuliani warned his viewers about cyber thieves stealing home titles online and threw his arms in the air as if to emphasize the danger of entrusting important matters to technology. When I read that, I said to myself, yes, yes, I've seen him do this. In fact, I've seen him do this many times. So Here's a typical Rudy episode. This was the first of his uh, Too Hot for YouTube episodes where he lies about the election. And we'll play some of that for you here. You know why they think it's stolen? Because it was. And because even though the Iron Curtain is holding back the evidence and accusing everybody of being traitors about the evidence, the evidence is coming out. 
the evidence is coming out and the votes are mounting, you know, stealing uh, 700,000 votes in Pennsylvania. That's a trick most places, not for Pennsylvania, I mean, not for Philadelphia, which is, you know, world-class voter fraud. And then there's a sloppy cut, the tone doesn't match, and he says, I think this would be an excellent time to take a short break. I couldn't believe we were evicted from our home that we didn't even sell. Those are the words of a homeowner, Deborah, when she learned she was the victim of home title fraud. And now we see Rudy again, but he's in a different jacket and tie and much heavier makeup. Don't worry, it stays on. But he launches into an ad. This is an ad-supported medium after all. Here's some of the information you and your family won't want to miss. Devastating crime that can cost you your home. And title fraud is not covered by insurance or common identity theft services. The only folks to trust that I know of to protect your home's title is Home Title Lock. Cyber thieves have discovered the titles to our homes are kept online. Title fraud and the obvious dangers of technology. This schlocky ad read for, I'm going to say, a bullshit service, don't sue me, is Exhibit 14 in Dominion's $1.3 billion defamation suit. I hope the four to $600 cut that Rudy got for airing the ad, I hope that is worth it. It can't be overstated just how much of the grift, the overall grift associated with the lie that the election was stolen, it's all just penny-ante ways to sell a crappy QAnon shirt or to peddle some title fraud insurance or to tell you to stay in a Trump hotel. Rudy intersperses his democracy-weakening campaign of lies with calls out for you to buy Omega supplements and gold, always with the gold. Call them now. Call 833-GOLD-777. That's 833-GOLD-777. Or text RUDY to 65532. Now, you would think his advertisers would just be ashamed Uh, not because they're good people, but to be negatively associated with the content. This is called bad ad placement. I mean, if you really are a company on the up and up, would you possibly want to hear your brand name in this context? Then use code Rudy. That's me. And sign up for 30 free days of protection. That's code Rudy at HomeTitleLock.com. Well, we're back to continue the interview with Steve Bannon. Pepsi-Cola hits the spot, five full ounces, that's a lot, and we're back with Joseph Goebbels. Joe, if you were a tree, what sort of tree would you use to light up a book burning? I have no idea if the Dominion lawsuit will work, or even if it will make Rudy sweat. Of course, if it makes him sweat, we'll all know it. But the idea that this brazen cash grab, which is all Trump and his minions have ever aspired to, that this may prove to be some small factor in Rudy's undoing, it's just rich. How rich? Well, I have a certificate of authenticity that indicates that it will never lose its value over time. Call now. And that's it for today's show. Shana Roth produces the gist for home bunker needs in these uncertain times. Call 877-SHANA or text home hunker down Roth to 66666. Margaret Kelly, gist producer, isn't guaranteed to go up in value, but the last gist producer chess set did appreciate considerably. Alicia Montgomery is the producer of Slate Podcast. For many years, she tried everything. Fish oils, supplements, expensive trips to the doctor, until she found this one easy solution. A solution doctors don't want you to know about. Gin! 
With gin, all the pain goes away. Today, the gist, Rudy Giuliani, hero of 9-11. And of course, you can't dial 9-11 without 1-900-562-9111. 85 cents for the first minute, 250 each additional minute. We have heroes of America standing by to talk to you. It's the Rudy line. Call now or the terrorists win. And thanks for listening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.